Welcome back to Golfing Secrets podcast with myself, Paul Gray. In this week's episode, we've got a hell of a lot of stuff to cover. Um, there's been some really good tournaments over the last sort of week. We've still got the lingering news with uh, with Live Golf, the PIF, and the merger that's uh, that's going on. Um, but also this week we've got the US Open coming up, so uh, we've got a lot to get through. And um, uh, for everybody that that sort of tunes in, we're also going to talk a little bit about how you can shoot lower scores, but without actually changing your swing. Uh, something that I've done recently, which has really helped and um we're going to cover some of that off uh, today as well so um let's get straight to it so the big question is this how do regular golfers like us who have jobs families and very little spare time how do we improve our golf and lower our handicaps that's the question and this podcast will give you the answers my name's paul gray Welcome to Golfing Secrets. Okay, so as I said, we've got a lot um, to get through this week. We're, um, we've just come off the back of a weekend which has had some uh, tremendous tournament um, at the RBC Canadian Open. Now, this is the the sort of pre-tournament before the US Open kicks off this week. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the US Open uh, a little bit later, but really want to talk about the results and some of the stuff that's gone on this week, particularly at the uh, Canadian Open. So we had a winner with uh, Nick Taylor, who um, finished on uh, 17 under with a final round of six under, uh, with, and he actually tied with Tommy Fleetwood. Now, um, the, the tournament itself was was a bit brutal. The rough was, was certainly tough um and and this is one of the reasons why they use the the canadian open or some of these tournaments in the run-up to the us open because typically the rough is that bit higher so uh, and, and that bit tougher so you know it gets them sort of used to playing out of real long thick rough and um that obviously makes it hard for them so you know it's a good it's a good tester for them uh, to see how they're playing in, in the run-up now just to sort of highlight a few a few things here with the tournament itself now um nick taylor a canadian so it's the first win for a canadian in i think it was something like 60 odd years and um so he had the full support of the crowd but to be fair um, you know, he, he beat Tommy Fleetwood, who also was getting a good deal of support. And, and it just sort of goes to show really that the Canadian supporters, although clearly they're they're absolutely rooting for their sort of home favourite, um, they're, they're pretty fair in their support for all of the other players as well. And um, as, a, as a proud Brit, we actually had four Brits in the top eight, which... I don't honestly know when that last happened. Um, it would have been quite a while back. Um, and so to have four Brits in the top eight was, was something else. So we had, you know, Fleetwood tied joint first with with uh, Taylor, the, the eventual winner, who won it on uh, a playoff. So they played four extra holes um, and uh, lost it. They played the 18th twice more. They then played the par three, I think it was the ninth, and then they played the 18th again. And Nick Taylor won it with 
the longest putt I've I've certainly seen in in sort of tournament history. Certainly, uh, it was seventy two foot long. I think it broke obviously his longest putt he'd ever hold on on tour. Um, and I'm sure there are probably some other records that it broke uh, in terms of winning it uh, or, or passing out that length to win um, a tournament. However, I do have to feel a bit sorry for for Tommy Fleetwood. Now, I say sorry because I'm definitely um, a... Um, uh, definitely a real supporter of of Tommy Fleetwood. <clears throat> Being a Brit myself, you know, clearly I'm 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 certainly going to be cheering him on. But he, he's come so close um, over the last few years. He's had lots of wins on the European Tour, um, but just hasn't quite managed to crack it in in the States on the PGA Tour. And I think this was probably his best chance of doing that, um, in, given his position going into sort of the, the final few holes. He was actually coming down the 18th hole and um, needed to birdie the 18th to win. Now, um, the 18th hole had been given up birdies all week and um, he he hit a a drive which which just peeled off a little bit right into into the first cut and the first cut at this course was is pretty severe so he didn't really have well he took an iron to lay up um and then try and hit the green in three and then one putt to to win the tournament but instead he well he he, the shot that he played into into um or to try and lay up he carved it off and into the rough into an even more difficult sort of position really and didn't really give himself an opportunity now the question here was his choice of laying up when in fact the ball after his tee shot was actually laying pretty well and certainly felt that he could have got a wood to it and you know there's been a lot of debate about you know was it the wrong club selection I mean I suppose given the result it probably was but at the end of the day, he still managed to, you know, do pretty well to to, to tie and and not not make bogey. In fact, uh, with a with a fantastic sort of up and down in the end, and um, it, it really just sort of really felt for him um, uh, to to not get the win. And um, I think he's he's certainly showing that. You know, he he went off form for a little while and has started to come back and has been getting some really good results, certainly over the last sort of two or three months. And he's just starting to show that form again, uh, which you know led to him winning sort of a number of times on the European Tour. Um, now, some other Brits that sort of also did well. Um, so Tyrrell Hatton, again, had another fantastic final round. He certainly likes tough courses and... This was certainly that, and he finished with an eight under um, final round. Uh, the lowest final round actually was nine under from Eric Hole, um, uh, another American. But um, you know, for Hatton to have another good final round going into the U.S. Open, I think you know shows some good signs. And also, he he also tied third with uh, Aaron Rye, who another Brit as well. And Justin Rose came eighth. So, as I say, for the Brits, you know, it was a good tournament. Um, good to see some Brits 
playing well on a tough course going into the US Open. And um, it'll be, you know, good to sort of see how they how they sort of fare going forward. But um, yeah, real feel feeling it for Tommy Fleetwood, but what a fantastic finish and what a what a way to lose it really to such a you know a momentous um putt on on the on the 18th or on that uh, on that final playoff hole so a uh, great tournament to watch um McElroy disappointed again um he was actually only two shots behind going into the final round and just really couldn't get anything going if i'm honest i think with all of the stuff that was going on and all of the news that came out it just it did look as though he was just he seemed to be okay when he was on the course but he just there was an element of him just he looked he looked weary which is is unusual for 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 McElroy given you know how, how fit he is and i think you know hopefully he can maybe get some get some rest before going into the US Open this week because without a doubt that that will really test your Test your your mental approach as well as your skills uh, with the golf club. So um, you know it's a shame, um, and and you know we'll, we'll talk a little bit later about you know what the prospects are for who who may or may not be able to win the the US Open this week. So um, it was um, it was good, and I also just noticed that um, uh, Sam Bennett, who uh, finished um, high. Uh, highest amateur at the um, at the Masters this year, and has now turned professional since. Um, he's he finished uh, tied twentieth in the field last week, so so he's sort of getting some some good results as well. So um, you know, it'd be interesting to sort of see what uh, what what happens. In fact, I think in the U.S. Open, I think because he was the uh, the amateur winner, or he won got some status or, or won some amateur either event or series of events um, meant that he'll actually be playing in the group with the current US Open champion, which would be uh, Matt Fitzpatrick um, and uh, another, I don't know who the other person would be. So, um, but we'll, we'll cover that as we get into the US Open side of things. But no, a fantastic tournament. Um, I wasn't really intending to watch that much of it, but because um, <laughs> cause quite a few of the Brits were involved, it, I certainly had a bit more interest in it. So um, it was good. And it did go on to the early hours as well, but um, uh, because of the playoffs but um but but there we go that's that's that that's it hopefully tommy can sort of take that that good that good um form as well as happen into the uh into the us open but um it was quite interesting actually to sort of see there's a few funny moments as well you know when the playoff was sort of going on and when it finished if um if anybody knows uh one of the golfers um adam hadwin got tackled by a security guard as he went to celebrate on the green uh, with um, with Nick Taylor. And um, it's quite funny. If you, if you search online for um, Canadian Open Adam Hadwin Golf or something or other, you, you'll see videos of this security guard sort of tackling him. And it was quite funny to see because the security guard himself had come from literally from the front of the green right up to the back of the green, which was where Adam Hadwin had been watching from. And, um, yeah, and sort of tackled him to the ground almost. So um, it's it, funny to see. Um, and it's quite, inter- it's, it's quite good to sort of see. So Nick Taylor 
being a Canadian, he's obviously hoping to play in the President's Cup against the American team, which is the the equivalent of the Ryder Cup, but it's but it's America versus versus sort of the rest of the world, uh, excluding Europe. And um, so a few of his potential sort of teammates in the President's Cup team uh, came were all around watching watching the sort of final playoff holes, you know, to sort of support him or, or to support their home sort of player, as it were. Um, but also the uh, Europeans. So there was Lowry and, and Rose and, and a couple of others. Hatton was there as well. They were also all there. They all came out as well to support Fleetwood in the playoff. So it was quite, quite funny and was good to, uh, good to, good to sort of see. But, um, but yeah, all round a, a, a great, a great um, tournament actually and one certainly if, if it's like that next year certainly be looking forward to that but um, in terms of other other sort of tournaments um, so we've had the um, LPGA Tour there was the ShopRite um, I think it was the ShopRite LPGA Classic which was won by a lady called Ashley Buha who is a South African and uh, she actually won the Women's Open in 2022, so last year. And uh, that was her first major win. She's actually had something like 20-odd wins, uh, or professional wins. Um, the bulk of those, I think 12 or 30, it might even be 14 of those wins, were actually on um, the Sunshine Tour, which is the tour which is in, in Africa. Um, but um, she's had five European Tour wins, the one major, and now two LPGA uh, wins as well. So she's certainly up there in terms of um, what she's managed to do, and uh, you know certainly sort of hats off, hats off to her for that. So uh, good win for her on the DP World Tour. It was a slightly different event this week. It was the it was the mixed Scandinavian Open, and uh, there was a wit a win for a Brit again. So um, Dan Whitnell, who's been on the tour for about 14 years, he um, he won the um, the event. Now, it's a mixed open event. Now, they play the same course as the ladies. So there's it starts off, there's 144 players. Um, half of those are, um, are, are women, half of them are, are male players. And they mix the groups up, groups up um, as they go into, as they start it off. So they'll typically have two men with one lady uh, or two ladies with one man and they'll play the courses. The ladies play off the ladies' tee um, and the men off the off the men's tees. And um, the reason for that is purely, it's no detriment to the ladies because it's just sim- it's a simple fact that they just can't hit the ball as far. So the way they've set up the tees and the course is so that it enables similar length shots to be being played for approach shots to greens so they set the tees so that you know however far the ladies drive it it's sort of comparable to to where the men are likely to be so they're coming in with similar length sort of clubs and um it it certainly has sort of produced some 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 great um some great play from you know from from women and and from the men and this year so dan whitnell he he won Overall, one by sort of um, I think it was two or three strokes. I'll have to sort of uh, check it, but um, I think he won by by two. Yeah, I think it was three strokes. So he was twenty-one under. Um, and there's a guy called um, Crocker who came uh, came second, and yeah, so he was three shots behind. But Anne Van Dam was tied third, at fifteen under, 
which is some achievement um and um she she's done particularly well and i think there's maria sagstrom also she was uh another lady who, who did really well and she tied 12th so it just goes to show that it doesn't isn't always about distance um and i think i've talked before on previous episodes about you know the ladies game and how <clears throat> we can learn so much from it as amateur players and certainly you know i've learned a lot myself over the over the coming or over the previous sort of months in terms of how to improve my game and and play a better game you know taking insight from the ladies game because it's so much more close to my game than the men's game is for me or the men's professional game uh, certainly in terms of distances that they're hitting the ball and so I think we can certainly learn that now I did actually wanted to want to watch a lot more of the uh, the ladies game of recent but with some of the some of the tournaments that have been being played recently um I haven't sort of managed to do to do that too much, but I'm hopefully going to try and do that over the coming sort of weeks and months, and and certainly watch some more ladies golf because it's, you know, I think we as I say we can learn as amateurs a lot more from it. But um, but so a big big well done to Anne Van Dam, and um, you know, again another another great event. Um, one thing you do sort of notice though with a lot of these, this this comes under the sort of the DP World Tour sort of brand of uh, of tournaments and um you know you look at the purses for these you know they only had a purse of sort of a million euros and you know you compare that to the sort of purses that they've got on the pga tour you know at, at 20 million an event or whatever it just it becomes crazy and it's just such a shame that um there isn't a, a lot more money going into to sort of ladies golf now Talking of sort of money coming into sort of golf, I think you know with, with the live, I say the live with the merger between PGA Tour, DP World Tour, and also the Public Investment Fund, the Saudi Public Investment Fund that we sort of we talked about last week. Hopefully, that will will lead to more money coming into some of the some of the sort of lower ranked tours um and and hopefully that can also include the ladies because the sort of money that that is being banded about that's going to be invested is is phenomenal we're talking billions and not millions and you know if if a lot more of that money can be spent lower down the ranks you know in the tours like the dp world the um ladies european tour and equally the the ladies um the lpga as well it would be really good to get some more money into those events because for me for sure if 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 there's certainly more events that i can attend that are perhaps in the uk if there's more european events being held then for me i would certainly want to go and see more of that um and um because you know we we i think we here in the UK, I don't think we really get to see that 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 much, or not as much as I would certainly would like to. So, um, hopefully, there'll be some more money coming in off the back of this new deal. But talking of the new deal at the moment, you know, it's all speculation, um, and it feels a little bit like they're sort of they've they've agreed to do this merge, um, this merger, and without really knowing 
exactly how it's going to be done. Um, it's very, very sketchy. There's more questions than there are answers at the moment. And it's, it's a shame, but, you know, the fact that nobody except for potentially two or three people knew this was going to happen. But it does beg the question. Now, the, the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour are, are both um, their members' tours. They're, they're tours for the members. And so the members should always have a say as to what happens, you would think, but it doesn't seem so. It seems as though this decision has been made by, you know, just two or three people, really. And it's it's interesting to sort of to, to note that. And I think that it's really going to be interesting to see what the, sort of the pecking order is. Ultimately, you know, the, the PGA Tour, in my, in my humble opinion, have... I've had no real choice. They couldn't keep going down the litigation route because, you know, they don't have that bigger pockets. Um, they've got deep pockets, but not not as deep as as the uh, Saudi investment fund and um, or the public investment fund. And I think that, you know, I think I don't really think they had that much choice, and I don't think that they wanted to go down that route and, in effect, you know scrape the bottom of the barrel just to, to, to keep fighting when, in fact, they could maybe have a lot more money to spend and um, and be able to sort of have an element of control. Still very, very early days. There's lots of questions still to be answered and could probably do a whole podcast just purely on this um, with all the questions that are unanswered, but it would all be speculation. So we're going to sort of see what comes out of it over the coming sort of uh, weeks and um, and uh, and and just see see where it goes. Really, it's going to be certainly an interesting few months, um, or probably about six months. So it's going through to the end of twenty twenty three season. So uh, there's no changes until the start of the twenty twenty four season. But bearing in mind the twenty twenty four season starts actually um, towards the end of this year. So um, because it's a wraparound season, but um, be interesting to sort of see what what happens with that. One of the questions that has been discussed, though, is what's going to happen to the Live Tour itself. Now, the Live Tour is is funded sort of somewhat differently. Um, it's run, obviously, and headed up by Greg Norman, who you know has taken a lot of stick for it um, and is not, not uh, at the top of everybody's uh, Christmas card list. But... It's going to be interesting to sort of see. Now, he wasn't aware of this change. He wasn't even involved in the conversations about this merger. Uh, the first he heard about it was the, along with everybody else and along with McElroy and the likes. So it's going to be interesting to sort of see what happens to Liv. And there's a lot of people saying that they don't feel that Liv will be able to to continue. Um, so we're going to sort of have to see. It, they are saying that there will be a team element um, as part of this merger, but what that looks like, um, we don't know at the moment. So it's going to be interesting to sort of, sort of see. I think there's going to be a lot more opportunity for some of the top players. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what it means to the players that are sort of lower down the ranks because, you know, again, none of them really sort of know. And again, this is all speculation, but, you know, there's talk of, payments being made to all the members of the tours 
to sort of in effect sort of compensate them and, and almost appease them so that you know they don't sort of start complaining and 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 causing sort of uh, problems so it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that um and i, I can't believe that they're going to sort of not compensate certainly it'll be different levels for different levels of player you know you've got your top your top ranked players you've got the McElroys the Rams the Schefflers and all of those players so there will be an element of compensation for them that I'm sure will far outweigh what some others will will receive how that that compensation is made we just don't know um so it's certainly going to be an interesting time over the coming uh, few months to um to uh, to see how that goes and and what actually sort of happens but um but that's really sort of the the, the news from the tours i suppose this week and um it's going to be interesting to uh, to see what happens o- over the sort of coming weeks uh, just as a just as a last reminder just do check out the video with adam hadwin rbc canadian golf just search for that and um, take a look at the video with the security guard sort of tackling him as he was going to go and celebrate with his teammate. So uh, um, do uh, do check that one out. Uh, so it's on to other news, I suppose. Now, um, the, the bit I was going to talk about, you know, the, the whole idea and aim for this podcast is to obviously give an insight and a view and opinion on, on what's happened across the golfing sort of world, uh, the results and, and, you know, what we can take and just, you know, generally sort of talk about, you know, the tours and the different types of events, what happens with, um, you know, a lot of the players. So that's one, one element of, of the podcast, but the main element really was to try and help everybody improve their golf. Um, I'm striving to, to get down to scratch and, and it's certainly been, been a struggle over the last sort of few months, really. Um, I've, my handicap really as I went into the winter last year was sort of 4.5. That's uh, my exact index. And um, I'm now up to 6.5. So um, there, there are a number of reasons for that. I'm not, I don't feel as though I'm, I'm necessarily playing any worse. Um, I don't think that, you know, my, my swing hasn't changed significantly. We've made some tweaks for sure. Um, but that's not what really has has sort of been costing me. But but one of the things that I wanted to cover off today was that I've I've made some a conscious decision, I suppose, to to play slightly differently, sort of going forward. And when I um, I've always sort of known my distances and and done that sort of stuff, and and I've got I know my you know I've always known my yardages for for um you know a full swing a half swing you know a, an eight o'clock swing a nine o'clock swing and 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 known my distances in in that way and over the over the past um couple of months in particular i've i've tried to just sort of shorten my swing and and in effect really just do a, a 10 o'clock swing and up to this point i've i've always i've always thought i've sort of known my distances um, and I've sort of tried to sort of gauge what I think my 10 o'clock swing might be as opposed to a full swing. Um, now, by full swing, I'm talking, you know, bringing the arms up and round to, say, the 11 o'clock position or further if, you, if you're if you flexible enough to do that. Um, so I consider that to be a full full sort of swing. 
but of recent and in particular taking sort of a lead from the likes of John Rahm, Tony Philnow, who who have really short short backswings, um, but still generate enough pace and speed to get the ball out there. And so I've been working on doing a much shorter swing and swinging to just 10 o'clock. Now, I thought I knew my distances. I've, I've always I've always had them in my in my scorecard holder. I've got a little uh, template that I use to to record my distances with my clubs. And I, th- I thought I really thought I sort of had them nailed. But what I found with looking at my numbers and stats and where I'm finishing with my approach shots, I was either coming up very short or going very long. And so clearly there was a there was a bit of a, a mismatch there. So. Um, I actually spent some time and um, I actually paid to have my um, distances um, recorded and get my exact numbers for my 10 o'clock swing, my 9 o'clock swing, which is more half swing, um, and also my 8 o'clock swing with pretty much every club in the bag. And what it really sort of highlighted to me was that you know, the distances that I thought I was sitting it, I certainly wasn't. Some were a little bit further, but some were a little bit less. And um, it, it really sort of opened my eyes. And, and I hadn't probably properly done my distances for, for probably almost three or four years. I just sort of assumed they, they were similar. Um, but the difference was, was quite something. And I've now taken that into the last sort of four or five rounds that I play, probably maybe six rounds now. And the difference it has made has been incredible. It, it, it really has. You know, I've hit a lot more greens in regulation. Um, my greens in regulation now has actually gone up from, I was only averaging sort of 30% greens in regulation, um, which is way too low for, for my handicap. Um, and I'm now hitting, you know, over 50% greens in regulation. Um, and that's purely by knowing the exact distances that I'm hitting those clubs. So the the big recommendation this year to help you sort of, or for this episode to help you improve your golf is to is to go and get your numbers measured. Um, you can probably do it at most golf clubs if they've got uh, any form of a tracking device, you know, be it um, a foresight. GC quads or whatever it is, uh, TrackMan or any others, and go and and get your distances absolutely nailed. Because one thing's for sure, even if you're hitting it and missing the green, you know you're carving it out a bit right or or, or, or carving it out a bit left. Um, at least the ball's getting level with the pin, which invariably does tend to make it easier for your up and downs because if you're always coming up short to greens then you're always playing shots up to greens typically um, or directly down to them and um, and that is a lot harder whereas if you're level with the green you're at the same level as the pin so typically you know you, you're going to be have a slightly easier up and down maybe you know more green to sort of work with and what it does mean is is that when you're aiming at pins you know Aim to hit, obviously aim to hit as close to the pin as you can, but aim to look for the good miss. So if you know there's a lot more space on the right-hand side, meaning if you do miss right, you've got a lot more green to hit with your up and down, then it just makes the whole process easier. And that, for me, has been a a massive help, a massive help. Um, And 
I'm, I've been shooting a lot better now uh, as a result of doing that. Um, and a lot of this came from from the lesson that I had with Sean Evans, or, or the, the, the seed was planted uh, with the lesson that I had with Sean Evans. And we uh, talked about, you know, my fairways hit and, and greens in regulation. And and she just sort of queried some of the distances on on my uh, on my yardage tracker. And um, it sort of just got me thinking about it. I got my wedges sort of checked um, and then, you know, got the, got the um, yardages checked for all of my clubs. And um, as I say, it's, it's made an immense difference. Now, our course, like, like probably quite a few this time of year, it's really sort of started to get quite tough. The rough is really up um, and, um, uh, combined with, you know, the having some low scores coming off my WHS handicap um, or my my, be- my best sort of twenty or the last twenty, um, it's it's been quite tough to sort of maintain my handicap. But with these changes and knowing my club distances a lot better now, I'm certainly feeling a lot more confident going forward and to try and really start to get the handicap back down to sort of where it was um, and then hopefully beyond. So. Um, uh, yeah, so that's the the sort of the, the tip, if you like, for, for this week. And that's, you know, if know your distances, um, go and get, if you can, do it at a local club or a local range. If they've got the facility to measure your distances with your clubs, then spend some time doing it. I can guarantee it will help and will be worth it. Um, and don't go all this big bollocks stuff and think you can hit your 7 iron, 180 yards or 160 yards or whatever. If you can't, just know your yardages just it doesn't matter nobody really gives a what club you're hitting if it hits the green it's hit the green it doesn't matter um so take the ego out of it and um just just go with the distances that you're hitting it and um it will really help now um you can get a copy of i've got a say a stats tracker that i use to record all the yardages for my clubs you can get a free copy of that if you want just go to howtopractice.com forward slash distances and uh, you can download a copy there um to help so uh, do that and hopefully that will uh, will help with um with the games and um, yes, yeah, so that brings it to the end of sort of, I suppose, my news in terms of my handicap um, and move on to the US Open. So we've got the US Open this week. It's at Los Angeles uh, Country Club, a real interesting course. I've, he- I've heard it described in several different ways. Some have said it's a, an old classic type course. I don't really know what an old classic type course is um so not sure what what is meant by that um but what i can say is that it's not short as you wouldn't expect it's uh, it's a major after all um it's playing over 7500 yards uh so that's certainly a a long a long course um one unique feature is it's got five par threes so um that's quite interesting but those par threes are very very different one of them is in fact almost 300 yards and i think that that's the 11th hole so you can actually you can actually stretch it out to over 300 yards um on the 11th hole and then they've got another par 3 which i think they can even play at 70 or 80 yards but landing on a green that's about the size of a postage stamp so um you know it's going to be quite quite quirky and of course being a us open 
the rough will definitely um, be up. It will um, maybe not be quite as hard as some of the courses that have that the uh, that the players have played on of recent. You know, I'm thinking of Muirfield Village, so Jack's course, um, Oakdale last week again. The rough was really tough um, at um, at um, Oakdale. Um, so I, I think because they haven't had so much sort of bad weather there, they haven't had so much rain, that the course itself may not be quite as tough as, say, um, some of the ones they've been playing of recent. But it is US Open, so it will be tough, whatever. Um, and it is really a... It's really a... You know, it's a... It's a US Open is a tournament where you have to last the end. It's not. There's not going to be low, big, low, really low scores. There's not going to be a. Or it's unlikely there's going to be a fifteen under winner. Normally, it's it's closer to par for the for the winning score. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting if there's two or three players below par, maybe um, with with everyone else par or, or over. So so it will be tough. Um, and and sort of with that in mind. Just want to sort of go through sort of my my sort of picks, I suppose. Now, it would be it would be quite easy to be honest to go for you know world's numbers one and two, you know, Scotty Scheffler and 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 John Rahm. Um, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Scheffler as my sort of my top pick. I think, given it is a U.S. Open, the roughs is is t- going to be going to be tough. It will be tough, whatever. I think his his tee to green at the moment is he's streets ahead of anybody else in terms of his tee to green stats. You know he hits more greens in regulation. You know he's 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 really he's he's absolutely got that nailed. There's nobody anywhere near him in terms of that that particular stat. The only the only the only thing is is can he sort out his putting? If he sorts out his putting, and he still has his tee to tee to green game then, yeah, I think he'll be an outright winner um, and quite a, a clear winner. However, yeah, he does need to sort his putting out. That's been the thing that's been sort of hurting him. Although having said that, even over the last, I think it's something over the last six or seven events or something or other, he, he's not been out of the top 12 um, and he's finished runner-up in two of them, PGA and, um, and uh, was it Jack's Place, I think. Um, so he's, so he's, He's, he's absolutely there or there. He's always there or thereabouts. And uh, you can't count him out. And I think for that, and given the type of course it's likely to be, tee to green, if you can sort his pattern out, I think Scheffler's the, the main pick for me, at least. Now, uh, another close second for me is is not going to be John Rahm. Um, I don't think that the last time we saw John playing, didn't finish particularly well. And I don't know, I just... It feels a little bit like John Rahm has sort of has sort of taken his foot off the gas. He's he's got you know he's got one or two kids now, and I think he's he's sort of enjoying that sort of side of the life, which is which is great for him. Um, but I just don't, I'm just not convinced with the way that he's been playing recently that that he's gonna he's gonna he can win it. Um, now I, I wouldn't mind if he did. I do do obviously like Rahm, but um, but I think it would do. The other one I would I would like to say I would like to win would be Fleetwood. Um, Fleetwood be would for me would be an outside pick, um, just purely because of the way that he's playing. I think he's he's 
he's really coming together with his game. You know, disappointing result last week for sure, but I think that you know he's got enough game to, to to take it, and he doesn't seem to ever be sort of phased. You know, the way he took that loss last week was was something else, and he just he seems to smile through it, and I think that takes a lot. But my my second pick is going to be Hatton. He likes tough courses. Again, he's one at Jack's place before. He played well there this year at Muirfield. Um, and he's got this this habit at the moment of of having really good final rounds um, on tough courses. And I think that, together with the fact that he, he has just generally been playing really well recently, you know, um, I think he was top top five at Jack's, top three uh, last week, both tough courses. PGR, I think he was there or thereabouts as well. So I think he's I think he's in with a good shout. Um, if, and it's a big if, he can sort of keep the temper down and, and keep his emotions under control. It's the one thing that can sort of let him down. All aspects of his game all round are are fantastic. He, he's strong in every area. You know, he drives the ball well. He's got good approaches to the green. He's he's good with his his wedges and up and downs, and he's he's a good putter. So, you know, he's got a good all round game, and you're going to need an all round game to win um, a U.S. Open. There's there's no no doubt about it. So um, Hatton's my my second pick, uh, with Scheffler being being my number one pick. Now you may say, what about Rory? And for sure, I'd I'd love Rory to win another major. You know, he's certainly one of my favourite players. But I just, at the moment, it just doesn't feel that he's there. If you look at his results over the last, you know, few tournaments, he's been there in the hunt on the last day, but has fallen really short. And he's he's really struggled to to sort of keep his game out of control for in those final rounds. Last round, the week last last week at the Canadian Open, I think he shot level par on the final round. And you know, in fact, a level par round in the U.S. Open on the final round, if you're in the mix, could be enough to do it depending on how tough the course is playing. But I think at the moment he just he just doesn't doesn't quite seem to be there. Um he he, he looks he looks quite weary, I think. Um uh, you know, when news of obviously live and stuff that sort of happened, he was a big advocate for PJ Tour and and I think I can't remember the exact words, but I think he'd he'd wasn't he hadn't been sort of stabbed in the back he but but he, he said words to to that effect um and and although he was still supporting you know Jay Monahan and PJ Tour you know he he clearly um felt you know that he'd really you know they they'd really done one on him and um and it just felt that he was quite tired and sort of quite weary my understanding was that um either today or tomorrow um he'd he wasn't going to do a press conference, which is quite unusual for him. So he's usually quite keen to to talk to the press and and do that, but um, isn't going to be doing that um, this year or certainly tomorrow. He will do obviously throughout the weekend. But um, so I, th- I think maybe he's just wanting to sort of step out of the limelight a little bit uh, as much as he can do, I suppose, being being one of the top players in the world. Um, but um, yeah, so for me, I just don't. I just, 
it just doesn't feel that he's there. You can't honestly 100% count him out, but he certainly isn't isn't uh, isn't for me this year, unfortunately. But um, but yeah, so looking forward to it. It's going to be a great uh, a great sort of few days. Um, we've also got our club championship this weekend, so um, uh, looking forward to that. Um, be nice to uh, to do to do well in that and, and get that handicap back down. And um, yeah, so that's it for this, this week, really. Nothing more to sort of cover off. Um, just as a reminder, um, I said that I'd, you know, I'd learned a lot from Sean Evans, who I did the interview with um, a couple of weeks back. Um, do take a look at that. If you're on YouTube, you, you, can, you can check the channel on YouTube. Um, if uh, you're listening on the podcast again obviously it's one of the podcast episodes I think it was episode 16 so a couple of episodes ago that was the interview with uh, with Sean Evans real insight into sort of local pros um, and also someone who's, who's played on the European ladies European tour before so you know good uh, some good content there hopefully I've certainly taken a lot from the time I've spent with Sean so um, it's worth taking a look if you haven't done so already um, and that's it then for this week, really. Uh, don't forget, if you go to howtopractice.com forward slash distances, you can download your free stats tracker as well. And um, not your free stats tracker, your free yardage um, yardage cards so you can record your yardages for your clubs. Um, and that's it for this week. If you've got any value, say leave any comments uh, below the video if you're watching on YouTube or in the Q&A section on Spotify. Uh, other than that, um, we'll catch up with everybody next week. Enjoy the US Open and uh, we'll speak next week. Thanks for watching and listening.